Good morning, everybody. Or should I say good afternoon? <laughs> Don't you wish you had an extra hour every day when you woke up? That <laughs> was so awesome to turn to my clock and see that I could still sleep a little bit more this morning. Good morning and welcome to Waters Church, North Attleboro. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at our North Attleboro campus. And, and uh, a special welcome to everybody here for the first time. Uh, we're going to get back into the series on Daniel, and this is where we're going. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 6, so uh, you got a Bible on you. If you have your smartphone on you and you have a Bible app on the smartphone, um, then go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And if you don't have the Bible on your smartphone, well, download it. It'll happen in about 30 seconds, and it's free. So let's go to Daniel chapter 6. We'll read from the ESV in just a few moments. This is the story that we most often associate the name of Daniel with. Daniel and the lion's den. This is the story that kind of sums up his life. This amazing man of God that we've been talking about for so many weeks. And I had a question come to my mind as I was thinking about this message. That after we've looked at the life of Daniel for about a month and a half now. If Daniel himself was here and could tell us something, the one thing that he would say is the most important thing for us to know from his life, what would it be? And I really believe I, I, I have a good idea of what it would be. I think that Daniel would stand before you today and tell you, no matter what happens, keep your relationship to God, number one. Keep your relationship to God as close as it possibly can be. And I want to say that you need to know and we all need to understand that our relationship to God and the proximity and the closeness of that relationship is really in our court. Before you come to Christ, God is the one who calls you and woos you and draws you close to Jesus. But after you come to Christ, it's really in your hands where you are in relationship to the Almighty, to the Father in heaven who loves you. I want to share a scripture that kind of sums this up, proves my point. James chapter 4 verse 8. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, come close to God and God will what? Will come close to you. What is James saying? The ball is in your court. Listen to me very carefully. Everybody in this room who is in Christ, you are as close to God as you want to be. You're not up, it's not, it's not that God is saying, I am going to make this happen. You're as close to God as you have chosen to be. Because here's what James is saying. When you decide to draw near to him in your relationship, God will come close to you. And the thing that you see in Daniel's life, that no matter what he experienced, and no matter what was thrown at him, and no matter where he got in life, at the height of success and in the depths of death, Daniel kept his relationship to God as close as it could possibly be. And we're going to look at that in this chapter, because this chapter gives us the spectrum of his experience. The beginning of the chapter, he's at the top of his game. By the end of the chapter, he's in the pit with the lions. But nothing changes this man. Nothing, uh, nothing 
uh, affects him to the point where, where he changes because of the, culture or the cultural expression against him or the, the tide of hatred and animosity or the success that life hands him. Because if there's two times in our lives where we will tend to draw away from God, the first time is when things are going really, really well. When we're at the top of our game and our marriage is good and our kids are healthy and the job is wonderful and everything's going well and we get lulled into this false sense of security and then we just start to kind of like draw away from God. Not, not, not on purpose. We just neglect prayer because it's good. Things are well. We're all right. And then something happens and somebody gets sick and something happens in our bodies and then suddenly now we're like, I need to pray. I need to get back to church. It's so funny to see that happen in so many people's lives. But it's not funny, actually. I just feel bad for you because, because you come and you get saved and you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You go your own way for a few months and you come back to us. You're like, I wasn't so good after all. <laughs> and, and so success will do it to it. But the other thing that will do it to, to us is, is when tragedy strikes. And sometimes it, what, this is how it happens. It, tragedy strikes when we're doing the right thing and, and we almost kind of want to give up now. What's the point? We did the right thing, and this is what it got us. So we kind, of, we kind of start to draw away from God on purpose. And it's when we go through those two extremes, success and despair, where the temptation is to draw away from God. I want to challenge you through the life of Daniel today that you keep your relationship to God as close as it could possibly be, no matter how good life goes for you and no matter how badly life goes for you, because the one thing that's going to be consistent in your life is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is always with you and always available to empower you. That's my, that's my message in a nutshell. Now we're going to unpack it. So... Daniel chapter 6, I call it this. It is the secret sauce of Daniel's, Daniel's life. The secret sauce. What, what, is his, what is his secret? Because everywhere he goes, he's successful. He was successful under Babylon's regime. Now Babylon is gone. There's a new king. There's a new culture. There's a new governmental structure. And Daniel's part of that structure now. And he rises to the top again. What is this man's secret? No matter where he goes, he's successful. The secret is, is that he knew how to draw close to God no matter what. So let's look together in chapter, one, chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. It pleased Darius, this is the king now of, of Persia. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So he's at the top of the governmental system. Uh, Daniel was one of them. To whom these satraps, 120 should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. And verse 3 says this, Then this Daniel, this same guy who's been successful all these chapters, this Daniel became distinguished. Somebody say distinguished. He became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because, because of what? Because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned Please note that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So this is a rapid trajectory for Daniel. He's going right to the top, and he's distinguished above all his contemporaries. Why? The Bible makes clear to note that the reason was not that, be, the reason was not that he was just the smartest person in the room. And the reason is not just because he, he knew the right people. And the reason wasn't nepotism, because he had no relation to these Persians. He was a Jew. 
The reason was because there was a spirit inside of him that was excellent. And we know what this is. This is the Holy Spirit of God. We talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's a very important principle of the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. It's a commandment. And we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit at church or experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit during the singing. When that, when that song went up, I really just felt the Spirit. I could feel the Spirit. Wonderful. Glad about that. Or when you hear the preaching, oh, the Spirit was present there today. And that's wonderful too. And I love the fact that you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit here and you are filled with the Holy Spirit here. But I want you to open your eyes to a new possibility that you don't just experience the Holy Spirit in this building, but that you experience the Holy Spirit in your office building, on the construction site, at the job, in the school, at, during the test. What, whatever you're going through and wherever God seems fit to drop you into whatever context of life, that you experience a distinguished uh, uh, reputation of excellence because you are a person who is not just flesh and bone you are a person that is filled with the third person of the trinity god is in you to empower you to do your job with excellence i really believe this i really believe that christians christians who are sold out to jesus who are keeping that relationship close you should be setting the bar in the secular realm, in the marketplace, at the office, in the job, wherever, in the, in the, in the schoolroom. Now, now, students, listen to me. The Holy Spirit can empower your studies, but the Holy Spirit's not going to study for you. So none of this showing up to the test having not studied and saying, oh, God, you know everything. Please give me the answers. None of that. you got to do your work well, which is the second thing that we see in Daniel's life. Look at what it says in verse 4. And the high officials in the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. They don't like him. And they kind of despise him. And so this is what it says. They try to find um, a complaint, a ground for complaint with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because Daniel was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So there was no external fault, and there was no internal fault. Now, Daniel has, they, they, they come to search for, for dirt on Daniel, and they can't find one speck of dirt. And ladies and gentlemen, listen, Daniel works for the government. <laughs> Hello, America. <laughs> There's nothing they search his Twitter account. There's nothing. There's no DM message of his naked body parts to some woman. There's nothing like that. There's no YouTube video of him at a drunken frat party burning the flag. There, there's, there's no indiscretions or impropriety with, with slush funds and lobbyists. There's no, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> There's no pot smoking experience with or without inhaling. <laughs> this guy is clean. <laughs> clean. <laughs> now the book of Daniel has a lot of miracles, impressive miracles. Cast into a den of cast into a fiery furnace and surviving. Impressive miracle. Cast into a lion's den in a few verses. Impressive miracle. But I think that the biggest miracle in the entire book 
is that Daniel worked for the government and didn't have any dirt on him. They can't find any complaint. Well, what, what was it here? Here's the second thing that, that empowered him. He did his job God's way. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 33, that the Lord blesses the home of the upright. And for some of you, you need to hear this. With God, you don't have to cut corners to get ahead. How many of us buy that lie? Well, everybody's doing it. Oh, my God, my, my, my coworker over there, he always breaks rules, and it seems like he's just always getting ahead. And the temptation comes, do it that way, and you'll get there. But if you're a Christian, you can't live by that standard anymore. You've got to reject that. And you've got to put your whole faith and trust in God and say, no, 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 no. I know that they're doing it the wrong way, but I'm going to do it God's way. And when God sees you doing it his way, I guarantee you he's going to establish you and he's going to bless you because the Lord blesses the house of the upright. Um, so Daniel keeps doing life and succeeding because he's filled with the Spirit and he's a man of upright character. But here's the third thing about him. He has an effective prayer life. Effective prayer life. It's really the thing that's going to come under attack in the sixth chapter of Daniel. And I've got to talk to you about prayer for a few moments. That's what this message is really about. I got eight keys from the life of Daniel to an effective prayer life. Eight. Now, those of you who have been here enough, you know that I am the master of the three-point sermon. I got eight points. So even if you don't believe in prayer, you better pray that I can get these eight points out in the same time I get three out. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go through these rapid fire for you, but, but the, the key verse is chapter 6, verse 10 in Daniel's prayer life. Number one point, if you're taking notes, an effective prayer life is a consistent prayer life. Here's what Daniel did. Daniel got down on his knees in 6.10. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Look at those next five words. As he had done what? Previously. This is, a, this is a pattern of his life. Praying three times a day. I think about how we eat three times a day. Or at least twice. We eat three times a day and some of us can't imagine going a whole day without food. Wow, what a kind of life to live where you couldn't imagine going a day without prayer. To communicate with your father regularly. This is a key to effective prayer. It's consistent prayer. That I'm not going to just do it when I feel like doing it. That you live above that. It's not about your feeling. It's about the fact that you know your relationship to God has to be your first priority. Because just because it's going well right now doesn't mean that in a couple of verses you're not going to be cast into the den of lions. And when that happens, you're going to be well prepared. Why? Because you've already taken it up with your heavenly father and you know he's with you. You got the relationship to your father. It's alive. It's well. And it was regular. And it was habitual. Now some of you say, I just don't know what to say when I pray. Just say something. Say something. Start with, dear father. Go. <laughs> just, just start saying. It's a relationship. And it's like, you know, marriage. You know, when you first get married, you're just kind of ironing out the rough spots of the relationship. You're just trying to learn how to talk to each other, learn how to communicate. That's what a close relationship does. You learn how to talk to each other. And it just takes time and it just takes practice. And all you got to do is make it regular. 
Just setting some time aside every single day to acknowledge your father. Maybe for some of you it's turn the radio off on the way to work and just start talking to God. Instead of listening to the sports and listening to the news and listening to the talk radio and, and listening to the rock and roll music, just say, no, 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 this time is going to be with me and my father. Spending time regularly. Consistent prayer is effective. Number two, effective prayer is earnest prayer. Notice Daniel's posture. He got down on his knees. This is earnest prayer. This is not going through the motions, mumbling the Lord's prayer very silently. Earnest, heartfelt. And, and, and all throughout Scripture, there is records of people who knew how to cry out to God. They, they didn't just pray. No, 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 no. They didn't just pray, and they didn't go through the rote, ritualistic prayers that many Christians in America do today. No, no, no. They expressed their hearts to God with urgency and a fervent heart. To express to God, I need you. <laughs> James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Be passionate. I think about Hannah. And, and Hannah in the Old Testament in uh, 1 Samuel 1, she's in this weird you know, marriage, her husband has two wives, she's one of them, and, and the other wife is popping out all these kids, left, right, and center. Hannah has no child. And she's desperate because even her, the second wife there is harassing her. Drove her to her knees, she's in the temple, she's crying out to God. Crying out to God. And it's a funny story because her husband's name is Elkanah, and Elkanah comes up to her and says, why are you praying about a son? Aren't I worth more than ten sons to you? How's that for the male ego? She cries out and pours out her heart to God. I want to ask some of you, have you ever done that? You know, you, you, you've gone to the marriage counseling. You've gone to the marriage retreat, the marriage seminar. You've heard the marriage sermons. Nothing's working. It's not getting better. Have you cried out to God? Have you poured out your heart to him? I need this to change. And, and this is how God acts. He, he listens to the cries, uh, uh, Luke chapter 18, that, that God will not put off the cries of his righteous ones. Not just mumbling prayers, but heartfelt. Number three, effective prayer is based on God's goodness, not your goodness. For some of you, this is really good news. For most of us, <laughs> it's really good news. Because what we do is we tend to think, well, God doesn't want to hear from me. I had a horrible week this week. I don't even know what I'm doing here at church. I shouldn't have come. I had a terrible week. I did everything wrong, and now I know God's up there being mad at me. No, 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 no. Look at Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, by the way, is what he prayed during the events of chapter 6. And so here's what he's praying. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. My, the answers to my prayer are not based on my reputation and my record of righteousness. 
the answers to my prayer are based on the fact that God is good. He's always good. Proverbs, uh, Psalms chapter 145, Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to all he has made. And, and for some of you, you need to start realizing that any prayer that is answered to you, you didn't deserve. It's grace. Grace that God has chosen to bless you and, and, and prosper you and, and supply your needs. This is even what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And, and, and this is a big part of prayer that many people miss. Because prayer is not based on your performance. It's based on God's goodness. When he answers, God is good. When he, when he, when he supplies, it is, it is God is good. And number four, effective prayer believes, this is a good one, believes God works immediately. We tend to think that I gotta pray and I gotta kinda pile up this big pile of prayers up in heaven. And once the pile reaches a certain height, then God's gonna say, all right, let me just finally do something for this guy so he stops bugging me. That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches when we pray, God works immediately. Here's, here's what the angel is, is sent to Daniel in chapter 9 to say to him. As Daniel is pouring out his heart to God and crying out to God, the same chapter we just re referenced a, a little while ago, chapter 9, an angel, Gabriel, comes to him, and here's the angel's words to Daniel. The moment you began praying, a command was given. What a picture of prayer. The moment you start praying, God goes to work. Now, when the timing for it to actually translate into your life, that might be a bit of a distance. But don't think for a second that God is up there just ignoring you. He's working things out. He's going behind the scenes. He's starting to put into practice and, and put into process the, the way in which he's going to answer that prayer. And he might be waiting for a certain reason. We'll get to that in a moment. But I, but I, I think of it like this. That prayer is a lot like sowing seeds in a field. If you're a farmer, every farmer knows that you got to sow a lot of seed before you see a crop a long while away. But the moment he drops the seed into the soil, that, it, that seed goes to work. Now, no farmer in his right mind drops the seed in the morning, goes and, have lunch, goes and has lunch in the house, and then comes out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and expects the crops to be 6 feet high. He knows there's going to be a season here. But he planted the seeds. I, I want to ask some of you, how's your, how's your fields looking? Are they barren? Is there not much happening there? Are you planting seeds regularly in your fields? Are you planting seeds in your marriage? Are you planting seeds in your children? Something that, I, that, that Cheryl and I, we make a big, big deal about with our kids. We pray for them almost every single night. Pray for our kids that the Lord will use them greatly for his kingdom. That the Lord will bless them, call him to himself, draw, him, draw them to himself, and use them mightily in the kingdom of God. That's our prayer for our children. Almost every single night, I see it like I'm a farmer and we're just dropping seeds, dropping seeds, dropping seeds. And we're looking forward to the harvest. Are you doing that? Are you dropping seeds in your workplace, and in the relationships that you have, the difficult relationships that you have? Maybe you need to start dropping some seeds of prayer in that difficult relationship for you. 
Lord, help me to be more patient about this. Help me to not be so selfish about this. Help me, to, help me to start seeing them through the eyes of Jesus instead of seeing them through the eyes of, of, of myself. Dropping those seeds because after a while you'll see the fruit. But you got to keep going. You got to start planting. You can't, you can't let the, the season just go stale. And, and, and you've got to continue to plant your seeds. Chapter uh, Number five, effective prayer is intimate prayer. Intimate prayer is based on a close proximity with God based on the fact that you have been made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the second part of verse 23 in chapter 9. This is the angel's words to Daniel. The angel says, and now I am here to tell you what that command was. Notice the next words. For you are very, what's the word? Precious to God. What a word for some of you. You're precious to God. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. He loves you with an everlasting love. He draws you with his loving kindness. Some of you have got to stop listening to the devil's forecast of your relationship status with God. You, you're letting the devil have all the say in how you are before God, and he just comes, and he accuses, and he accuses. Jesus called him that. He's the accuser of the brethren. He comes, and he accuses you, and accuses you, and accuses you, and, and, and this is the bad thing, right? He's the one that tempts you. Then you do it, and he's the one that accuses you for doing it. What a jerk. And, and this is the devil coming after you, coming after you, coming after you, and telling you you're no good, you blew it, you're terrible, you're no good, God's done with you, enough is enough, you've told him that you'll stop, but you haven't stopped, enough. It's accusations. You need to listen to what the Bible says about you. You are very precious to God. You are very precious to God because God chose to shed his love and grace on you through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not what you did, it is what Jesus did. And here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. My standing before God is not based on what I have done. My standing before God is based on what Jesus did. That through his blood I can confidently come before God. And then look at, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, ask the Lord to let those things just be washed away that you are just holding against yourself. And some of you, you can't forgive yourself. And some of you hold on to the things that you've done from years ago. And here's what you need to do. If you confessed it, and if you repented of it, and you gave that to God, let it go in Jesus' name. Because when you hold your sins against you longer than Jesus does, what you're actually daring to tell God is, I am a better judge of my sin than you are. And you're not. If God forgave you, you have no right to hold on to it. And you say, it's not fair. He shouldn't have done it. Well, he's God, okay? And he's gracious. He's gracious beyond what you can imagine. So let it go. Um, so Daniel's praying. Listen to me. 
the very thing that you keep getting blessed for in your life is the very thing that the devil will attack you for. And he wants to come between you and God, and he will attack your prayers. And that's exactly what happens to Daniel. The enemy comes to attack his prayers. So these guys in chapter 6, verse 5, they, they decide, we can't find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So, so they came up with this plan. Let's, let's make a rule. We'll go to the king. We'll all go together, and we'll, and, 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 and we'll assemble before him. We'll say, you've got you to enact a law. An act of law that anybody who prays to any god outside of you for the next 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius is like, okay. So he signs the law. It's now illegal to pray to God. What does Daniel do? Chapter 6, verse 10. This is the key verse. Again, we'll just read it again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, he knew it was illegal. And as soon as he found out, what does he do? He goes up to his house where he had his windows open in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He doesn't let the law of the land dictate what he's going to do when it comes to the law of his God. By the way, we're living in a country where that is going to be the decision we're going to have to make more and more. But the law says this, but God says that. I'm doing what God says. It, it might cost some of us. It might cost some business owners. It might cost some churches. Who knows what's going to happen, but we know that if God be for us, who can be against us? So Daniel, he just goes up and he prays. This is the sixth point I want to make. Effective prayer is unstoppable prayer. It is unceasing prayer. It is prayer that does not let the situation dictate whether or not we choose to pray about it. Because listen to me very carefully. Some of you, you pray for something, and, and here's how it works. Here's how it works. And many times it will get worse before it gets better. You start to pray, and then all hell breaks loose. And, and maybe that's some of you, you've come to Christ, and you've been baptized, and now all hell is breaking loose. What's going on? I thought this was the way I should be doing it. And it's like, what, why, why? Because you've got an enemy now. And his job is to separate you from God. He wants you distant from your father. Because he knows the power of God in you. He knows that what God has done for you. He knows that a man who is full of faith in God can do all things. And he wants to put doubt and fear and, and, and uh, frustration into your heart. And so you pray, you pray, you pray for the marriage. You pray, you pray, you pray for the kids. You pray, you pray, you pray for the children. You pray and pray and pray for your job, and it gets worse. What are you going to do? That's what, exactly what happened to Daniel. He prayed and prayed and prayed three times a day for 70 years. What does he get? Allah attacked. It gets worse. That's what's going to happen. I think about um, Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, and, and Mary and Martha come running to Jesus and say, hey, the one that you love, Lazarus, your, father, your friend, your buddy, he's sick. Come, 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 come. And the Bible says that Jesus stays where he is two more days. Doesn't move. Let's Lazarus die. He finally comes into the, the village. It's been four days. Lazarus has died four days in the tomb. And Martha comes out and says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says, don't worry about it. This won't end in death. This is so that the glory of God might be revealed. Sometimes God purposely waits, purposely holds off so that he gets the most glory. 
And some of you, God is waiting to answer the prayer, and things are getting worse, and you're like, what's going on? Here's what God is doing. He's bringing you to a place in that situation where when the answer finally comes, it will be as loudly proclaimed as possible that God and God alone did this for you. He'll bring you to that place. Because Jesus comes into the, the village and calls out to the grave, Lazarus, come on out. And there he comes out, he unbind him and loose him, and he's alive. And, and the newspaper that morning didn't read Lazarus healed of sickness. That morning it read Lazarus raised from the dead by Jesus. Which one gives God more glory? Sometimes that's how it is. I found this passage in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. It doesn't say the Lord will act that he may be gracious to you. Sometimes the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. I don't like when God waits. But sometimes he waits so that the right timing, you know God has perfect timing. Perfect timing. And then here's what it says, and therefore he will be exalted. He's waiting for that right moment where it's evidently clear that you didn't do this. And, and you didn't just shape up your act. God came through for you. And, no, and, and there's no doubt about it. What happened in our marriage, what happened in our children, what happened in our family, what happened in our house, it was a God thing. And that's what your testimony is going to be. It's number seven, effective prayer is thankful prayer. Uh, Daniel prayed and gave thanks before his God. This, this is after the injunction has been signed against him. He gives thanks. How do you do that? Why? How? You give thanks when you've been given a death sentence. Here's how you do it. You do it by faith. That's what effective prayer is. It's thankful because it's expectant. It fully believes that God's going to do something. First Thessalonians 5, 16, Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. Why? Because you fully believe, you fully believe that God is going to come through for you in the situation. And so here's what happens, summarizing now the book of Daniel chapter 6. They come and they assemble, they find Daniel praying, and then they drag him before the king and they say, Hey king, Daniel's praying, Daniel's praying, total tattletale like three-year-old kids, Daniel's praying, Daniel's praying. King's like, oh man, let's, let's let this one slide. They're like, no, you signed it, you signed it, remember you made this law. So the, so the king is very distressed because Daniel's his top guy. Verse 14, it says he was distressed and he labored till the sun went down to rescue Daniel, but he can't rescue him. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions and the king declared to Daniel, check this out, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. <laughs> this guy's even praying. Verse 17, and a stone... And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And this verse I really like. Look what happens to the king. Daniel's in the lion's den. Darius is on the top of the world. And here's what the Bible describes for us. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? 
When I read those passages, I just want to ask you a question. Who's the king of the world and who's in the den of lions? This guy's freaking out. He's got all the security, all the money, all the fame, all the notoriety, all the power in the world, all the things that the world tells you you need to feel secure. He's got them, and he can't sleep, and he can't eat, and he can't watch TV, and he's frustrated, and he's in anguish. And Daniel's in the lion's den. And Daniel's response to the king. Oh, king, live forever. My God, send his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you I have done no harm. <laughs> I love this response because there's a king running to the, running to the tomb, to, to the den of lions early in the morning. Take the stone away. Daniel, are you there? Are you there? Daniel's like, it's all good. <laughs> I spent the night with an angel. It was awesome. We talked about a lot of stuff. It was cool. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the years to come. He starts telling him all these things. I just see Daniel in the lion's den. He's not scared. He's not worried. I just see him snuggling up on one of those big old lions, just laying on their stomach, just him and Simba. Hallelujah. <laughs> Peaceful and all get out. Because number eight, what happens with effective prayer is effective prayer, number eight, brings God's presence into any situation. The moment you start praying, God goes to work. He's there. And his presence is enough sometimes. And his presence sometimes is all that you've got, but it's enough. Now, I would be remiss to end this, verse, uh, end this message without clearly showing you how the gospel is portrayed in this entire chapter. This, mess, this, this chapter is really not about Daniel. It's actually showing us the story of Jesus. Okay? Because Jesus was going to be given the kingdom... And those who saw it and were in charge, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, started to accuse him of all these things, and nothing that they accused him of could stick, just like Daniel. Just like Daniel, Jesus is put to death at the decree of the king. The king's decree could not be changed. So too, the decree to send his son could not be changed. It was prophesied. And by the way, just so you know, theologically speaking now, Jesus going to the cross was not God's emergency backup plan. Okay, it wasn't like God was up in heaven saying, nothing is working with these people. <laughs> the flood didn't work. The plagues didn't work. Moses didn't work. The law is not working. What am I going to do? Jesus, how do you feel about crosses? That, that conversation never went down, all right? Here's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before God ever said, let there be light, he knew what he was going to do. And for some of you, that opens up a whole new theological category in your mind. But you need to know that. Nothing caught God off guard. So just like Daniel, by the decree of the king, he is put into the pit of death. And did you see that they rolled a stone in front of the tomb of the lions? And they sealed it with his ring. That's exactly what happens in Matthew chapter 26 to Jesus. They come before Pilate. They say, hey, put a seal on there. Put a guard there. And he does it. And just like Daniel, when the king comes to the tomb in the early morning and he calls into the tomb, Daniel, are you there? That happened on the resurrection morning. God called from heaven and Jesus came walking out of that tomb. But there's something else that happens. In verse 25 of Daniel chapter 6, look what it says. Then King Darius, then King Darius, this is the king, this is the ruler of the world, 
Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages. He wrote letters. He wrote letters to all of them that dwell in all the earth. And what's the, what's the, what's the first phrase in the letter? Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions and this Daniel prospered. King Darius writes letters and sends them throughout the whole world. Now, in the New Testament, here's what happens. Jesus dies, buried, rises again. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the book of Acts, the church is born, spreads all over the world. And then the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament is just a collection of letters. Colossians is a letter. Philippians is a letter. First and Second Corinthians, they're letters. Galatians is a letter. And these letters are, are cast all over the world. In every Bible, there's a copy of the king's letters. Jesus is alive. And you can trust him. And not only that, but in one of those letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, here's what Paul says to one of the people, one of the churches. He says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by the apostles, written not with ink, but the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And the letters go forth from this building this morning. And all over the country, in the buildings that worship Jesus, go out into the society, and not just in this country, but in every country all over the world, letters are going out Sunday morning to tell the world Jesus is alive, he's on the throne, and you can trust his God. That's what this is about. When you, keep that, when you keep that relationship to God, number one, here's what it does. It tells the world that Jesus is alive. What would Daniel say if he was here this morning? He would say, no matter what, keep your relationship to God, number one. And shine for Jesus.